You know about the Shoah, the final solution, but how did it all begin? Israel National Radio's own Walter Bingham will speak live in Jerusalem this coming Monday. The host of Arut Sheva's Walter's World will give an illustrated talk about the background of Hitler's rise to power and an eyewitness account of life for the Jewish community from a first-hand perspective, including the rarely discussed Jewish teenager's act of revenge on a Nazi leader. This is a rare opportunity to hear Arut Sheva's elder statesman, Walter Bingham, speak of his own life experiences. That's this Monday, May 2nd, 8 p.m. at the OU Israel Center in Jerusalem. For more information, call 02-560-9100. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the Noahide Nations. I'm your co-host Ray Patterson, and you're here on the Noahide Nation show. It's been a, a couple weeks since I've been with you. A lot's been going on. Uh, it's been tough to keep up these days with the uh, upcoming Noahide World Conference uh, in July. It's going to be in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, a lot of uh, goings-on as far as new uh, new things that are happening, so I can kind of get you updated on that. And we're uh, in the midst of Pesach and just a lot of things uh, going on. And I did manage to uh, sneak away for a week to uh, kind of come up for some air and try to relax a little bit and uh, had a very, very successful fishing trip. So well, I thought I'd go ahead and throw that in for all you fishermen out there. We did extremely well in Missouri with the crappie. So we had a great time, but we're glad to be back and in the game, back in the saddle, so to speak. I do want to quickly do some housekeeping here. We do always love for you folks to uh, let us know that you're out there. Let us know that you're listening. And uh, send us an email. Let us know uh, about your comments, what your thoughts are, uh, questions that you might have for us. And uh, just send those to the uh, same address as always, noahide at israelnationalradio.com. And that'll get to me. And if you happen to have any questions for some of our instructors, our, our teachers, who are kind of filling in until after we get through the World Conference, please do you know just send them the same address, and I will make sure that they get to the right people and uh, get the answers back to you. And if they're intriguing enough, we may go ahead and just go ahead and do a show on uh, uh, your questions and the responses to those questions. So anyway, in terms of the conference, uh, we do have some, some updates uh, we need to let you know about. Uh, I believe I, well, I may or may not have mentioned this last time, but uh, the conference, once again, is going to be July 1st through the 4th in the Dallas area, and it's going to be a fabulous conference. Uh, I you know, thought and have had people tell me that the last one was pretty doggone good, but I'm hearing that based on the lineup of speakers that we have this go-around, it's going to be even better than that. Uh, which I didn't think we were going to be able to do, but amazingly, with Hashem's help, we've been able to uh, accomplish that. And one of the new people who have been added to our list of speakers is uh, a friend of yours and mine, and uh, I'm sure you all are well aware that he is one of the, the people with a show here on Israel National Radio, and that is none other than Rabbi Laser Brody. 
and I myself have never met with him personally, but I am sure going to enjoy that first time shaking hands with him and, and meeting him in person. Uh, he is certainly a fabulous teacher, and uh, a great many of us, if not all of us, have heard uh, some of his teachings, and, and I think it goes without saying that he is truly a man with a heart for Hashem, a heart for his people, and also a heart for the Gentiles. I, you know, I guess we could just say Rabbi Brody has a heart for mankind. And he has a, a very, very loving way of bringing forth the wisdom and knowledge that he has. So I've got him scheduled for a couple lectures. You might even be able to get him to do a third one. But uh, it's going to be fabulous regardless uh, whether he does one, two, or three. It's going to be great just to have him there. And, uh, of course, he'll be available uh, for questions and uh, you know, some discussions uh, in the hours that we don't have the conference going. So I hope you all can make it. Uh, uh, I'll have some of his books available that you'll actually be able to purchase. And you know what? Maybe get an autograph or two. But we also, if I haven't mentioned this, we do have Sam Glaser is scheduled for a special event concert. Uh, it's going to be after Havdalah on Saturday. Uh, I'm not sure how long Sam's concert's going to be. Usually they run an hour or so, but uh, it's going to feature a lot of uh, his old material, but also a lot of his new material that, uh, coincidentally enough, he will be releasing on his uh, new album, which he's going to release that weekend of the 4th of July right at the conference. So I'm really looking forward to that. Here again, I've never met Sam personally, and uh, it's going to be great for me just to be able to uh, meet him and talk with him and, and to be able to see him in conference, in, in concert is truly a spiritual time and i hope that you folks who are pondering coming to the conference i hope you make the investment because i guarantee you with the uh, the entertainment the the i should say the spiritual entertainment uh, as well as the spiritual learning and the torah learning that is going to be going on for those 4 days uh, you're not going to get more Torah from anywhere than at this four-day conference. So if you've been thinking about it, I can rest assured this is the place that you're going to need to be on the 4th of July weekend. Now, there's also another reason why you may consider going. Um, I'm sure we often have these thoughts of, the things that are going on in the world, you know, it, uh, you, you think you've seen it all and then somehow it just seems to get a little bit worse. It's uh, hard to believe sometimes, but indeed it's undeniable uh, is that things do uh, tend to get worse from time to time. And uh, we are in the midst of that right now. Uh, I'm absolutely stunned and never would have anticipated what is currently happening in the Middle East. Uh, um, you've all seen it on the news. I mean, uh, Libya, Kuwait, uh, uh, I mean, it's just everywhere. Syria, I mean, you can't get away from it. People are very, very upset, and they are protesting, and in some cases violently, against their governments. 
the thing that's kind of disturbing about this is that the number one, the governments are responding in oftentimes very violent manners and you know firing into these crowds of basically defenseless people and just killing them, and so they they ought to be protested against just uh, by virtue of that fact. But they are very uh, oppressive governments. The thing that really kind of scares me about this, though, is that these governments. A lot of them have been in for so long that through sheer uh, tolerance of each other, uh, we here in the United States and the Western world and in European countries have developed a, a, a tolerance friendship relationship, if you will. Uh, it's one that, okay, we understand you don't like us, we don't like you, uh, but we're going to tolerate each other just so that we can keep war at, at a minimum uh, if, if we can. My concerns are, is it seems very uh, very good on the surface that these people are protesting against their government and going to be able to, in many, many cases, take over those governments and install new leadership. However, the downside to that is, is that many of these new leaders uh, are not going to be favorable towards Jews, they're not going to be favorable towards Gentiles, they're not going to be favorable towards anybody other than Muslims, and if you happen to be a Muslim who disagrees with them, you're not going to be favorable to them either. So you're going to be right there with us. So this is of of great, great concern to me and many of the people that I have talked to regarding this entire situation of people protesting throughout the Middle East, and there's little old Israel kind of wide-eyed at everything that's going on around them, you know, wondering what is going to happen. And interestingly enough, I remember I remember one rabbi uh, talking to me, we were kind of discussing my concerns for, for him and Israel, and he told me that, you know what, I'm more concerned about you folks. Because we in Israel, we understand that Hashem is protecting us. We have the uh, the cover of Hashem's protection. On the other hand, here in the United States and elsewhere around the world, he really feels that we really don't have that protection like Israel does. So he's more concerned about us than we are about uh, him in, in Israel. Uh, it's really kind of interesting that uh, that was presented in that way because I'd never really considered it in that way. And yet, when you really sit down and think about it, yeah, the Jews are probably pe- being protected beyond what we in the United States, we in you know Australia, we in London, I mean, all these different uh, uh, places, uh, you know, we're probably not as protected as we think we are. And if all of these people who are protesting have their way and they install new governments which are even more hateful towards uh, uh, Gentiles, and you know, by that I mean Christians because they're killing Christians, and you know, anyone who's favorable to the Jews, and you know, us Noahides because we believe deeply in uh, Torah and, and, and Judaism, we consider ourselves part of Judaism because of what is written in the, the Torah. So, if we find ourselves seeing new governments that are portraying with a happy face 
that things are going to be okay, it's always good to be mindful of what is reality. And that reality, my friends, is that we may be living in the historical time of the beginning of the end, as it were. Uh, We may be witnessing the prelude to uh, a so-called World War III, uh, you know, the the third war to end all wars. Uh, It's something that we really need to be considering uh, uh, strongly. And we need to start considering it now. I mean, we need to start considering it yesterday. And in doing that, we need to definitely be studying our Torah, learning as much as we can to bring ourselves closer to our Creator. And, of course, that means prayer. And we need to be praying to Hashem for our safety, for the safety of our uh, fellow man, uh, for the safety of of those in Israel, uh, for peace in Jerusalem. We need to have peace throughout the world, and this is what we need to be praying for. And I'm afraid that if we don't make it happen, Hashem will make it happen. And I don't think that we're going to like it a whole lot when he does. So, folks, we need to be gathering together. We need to be, as as the human race, as Hashem's creation, gathering together and praying uh, and to, to, to protect us for His protection, to bring us under His wing. And at the same time, we need to be studying His Word. Not studying it from our perspective, but studying it from the perspective of the people who know, the Jewish people. They know. And that's why this conference is very, very important. And if, in fact, we are living in the end times and and we're really going to see World War III getting ready to launch, this could, in essence, be the last world conference that could possibly happen for for the Gentile world to be taught by some of the greatest Torah scholars known to man right now. These are some of the greatest Torah scholars that are alive. There's going to be Torah scholars there who aren't even going to be lecturing that are coming just because of the huge significance of this conference. They know how important it is. They know the times that we're living in. And they are coming just to participate, just to be part of what is happening. Because, my friends, indeed, we are living in very trying times, but we are living in historical times. And we have the opportunity to make history, or we can stand back and watch it happen. But I'm afraid we're not going to like the end result of that. So if you do get an opportunity to attend this conference, I'm going to guarantee you, you're going to have a wonderful time. You're going to walk away from there so spiritually satisfied. Your your cup will be overflowing, as they say. Uh, it's going to be just fabulous. There's going to be an opportunity to meet new friends, uh, like-minded people, and to be able to sit under uh, some of the, 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 the greatest Torah scholar rabbis that there are, uh, particularly when it comes to how to live a, a righteous life as a Gentile. These are some of the people who have studied it and studied it and studied it and are teaching it. And we need to hear from them over and over and over again. And this is just one more opportunity for that. So I certainly hope that you will 
be joining us for that conference. You can check it out on uh, Noahide Nations at noahidenations.com. Uh, you can certainly ask questions by sending them to me directly at ray at noahidenations.com, or you can send them, once again, to Noahide at israelnationalradio.com. I'll be happy to answer whatever questions you might need. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we are in the midst of Pesach. And oftentimes uh, I get questions uh, and emails and phone calls and all kinds of things as to whether or not Gentiles are supposed to even consider Pesach uh, uh, something of a celebration. And I'm of the opinion that we absolutely are. Uh, and by that I mean we're not supposed to be doing it like the Jews do it. Uh, Hashem specifically gave the Jewish people specific instructions on what they are required to do during this time. And that is their responsibility to do that for the betterment of mankind. It's not just for them. What they do is is so special uh, it's in representation of, of Hashem that is, is for the benefit of mankind. But in terms of of, of Pesach, in terms of an exodus, it is something that we can celebrate, and I don't see any reason why we can't celebrate it during the same time. And one reason would be because we as Gentiles, particularly those of us who are Noahides, who have accepted the Torah, who have accepted the God of, uh, of Israel, uh, we have come out of an exodus, or I've gone through an exodus, of our own. I mean, we have crossed over, uh, much like the, the, the Hebrews did. I mean, they crossed over. That's what Abraham did. He crossed over. He's a Hebrew. Ibrim. That's what he means. He crossed over. Uh, and, and he, we crossed over from idolatry to believing and in worshiping and in studying the one true creator of all things. So this has been a, a process for all of us. We have each had our own exodus from our previous religious belief systems, if you will. Uh, is that cause for celebration? You bet your bottom dollar that's cause for celebration. It's cause for remembrance of what we were once going through. Uh, even though we were not into forced labor, we actually put ourselves in a situation of being in bondage. But we fought our way out of it. And I remember Rabbi Tovia Singer uh, uh, saying at one point that Noahides have been able to do something that's absolutely amazing and miraculous. And that was to find the God of Israel in the darkness, while it is still dark, while the light has still not shown, we have found the true creator. And you know what? That is worth celebrating. And if we choose to do it during the time of Pesach, I think that's okay too, because my second reason for wanting to honor this time and remember this time and celebrate this time is because by reading about it and understanding it and, and speaking to rabbis and, and people who are in the know, when we start listening to them, we are learning about them. We are learning about 
the Jewish people. We are learning about what it means to have them in the world. We are learning about what it means for them, the Exodus, and getting to Mount Sinai, and the trials uh, that led up to the Exodus, and then after the Exodus. My friends, this is an opportunity to to learn more and to, to let's face it, know God's chosen people. Uh, they are important to mankind. They're important to me. They're important to you. They're important to Hashem. They're important for many, many reasons. But if we want a better world and, 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 and better treatment as mankind itself and treating each other better, we need to be listening to the Jewish people because Torah, my friend, has the roadmap to world peace. It's all there. And it's in, well, in my case, it's in plain English. But in the Jews' case, it's in plain Hebrew. It is there. And we need to be listening and learning and studying what these folks know. Because they've had the longest practice at it. My gosh, they talk about, you know, the Noahide movement that, you know, they say that Noahidism is the oldest religion known to man. Well, you know what? That is probably true. On the other hand, we also forgot it. So it's probably the most uh, forgotten uh, religion known to man. This helps bring us back. It helps bring us to where we're supposed to be. It helps us to understand what Hashem expects from us as Gentiles. We have our role, my friends. The Jews have their role. Gentiles have their role. And by gosh, both sides need to start doing their role if we ever hope to get to the goal line and bring about the the anointing of the Mashiach. I mean, we can do this. We can absolutely do this. Hashem gave us and is giving us presently the opportunity to do this, even though we are looking at history as as this possibly being the the beginning of the end, and I and I say that with uh, you know sorrow in my heart, but also with a great deal of sincerity, uh, we could very well be witnessing in our time the beginning of the end, uh, that point in the the historical timeline of creation. And uh, we better start doing something about it, folks, because if we don't, I guarantee you, Hashem will. So we need to start taking this very seriously. And our upcoming guest, who is going to be filling in this week for the second half of the show, uh, Mr. Jacob Scharf, is going to be speaking to us about Noahides, uh, Gentiles, and uh, Pesach, and he'll probably be speaking about uh, uh, the Jewish people, what it basically means for everyone. And it'll be a good opportunity for learning for you, for me, for all of us. And I hope that you will uh, uh, have some questions. I'm, I'm sure Jacob's teaching is going to you know, want you to ask some questions, and you'll probably be pondering things. So, Please feel free to send me an email directly, and I'll make sure that Jacob gets it. Or simply send it to Noahide at IsraelNationalRadio.com, and they'll make sure it gets to me, and I'll make sure it gets into the proper hands, and uh, we'll get answers back to you. So, my friends, until we get together next time... 
Please always, always remember to look to the heavens for your help from Hashem. Because, my friends, I guarantee He is always looking out for you. So have a great week, my friends. Stick around. We'll catch you on the other side with Jacob Sharp and Pesach. Israel National Radio is the perfect way to advertise your business or website. Our streaming audio programs and podcasts receive approximately 100,000 unique hits a month from all over the world. If your target demographic is the English-speaking pro-Israel supporter, then Israel National Radio is your perfect outlet. For advertising rates, email advertise at israelnationalradio.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-270-4288 to advertise on Israel National Radio. Cut down on time at the airport. Introducing the ultimate airport experience by Menashe Sofer's Airport Service. It's the first of its kind. The VIP Meet and Assist Shuttle guarantees a completely stress-free traveling experience to and from Ben-Gurion International Airport. Online at msofareairport.com. Tell them you heard about it on Israel National Radio. Menashe Sofer Airport Travel. Speed and service. M-S-O-P-H-E-R airport.com. Shalom, and welcome to the Noahide Nations Radio Show. I'm your host for this segment, Jacob Sharf. For those of you who don't already know me, or who haven't heard me on this show before, I guess let me introduce myself. My name is Jacob Sharf, and I've been a Noahide since sometime in the early 90s, and I currently live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Currently, I teach a class in the Academy of Shem, the online learning center of the Noahide Nations website, and the class is a Mishnah Torah study class in which we are studying the first section of the Mishnah Torah called Sefer Hamadar and kind of going through it and discussing how it relates to Noahides. Um, the class takes, uh, takes place every uh, Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So if you have a chance, I highly urge you to stop by. It's uh, always filled with lively discussion. So... In this segment, we're going to discuss Passover, or Pesach, and talk about how the holiday of Passover relates to non-Jews, and the meaning that it has, not just for Israel, but for the entire human race. So, let me take you back to a time. It was, if I remember correctly, the early 90s, and uh, I was in my early 20s, and I was really just starting to learn about Judaism at the time. I lived in California, and I was attending a Seder that was being led by some friends of mine, people that I knew from the the local synagogue. So I arrived at the house where we were going to be having the Seder, and it was a beautiful mansion, really, in the foothills of the mountains. And directly opposite it was a huge lake. We entered the house, went into the main dining area, which was this beautiful, almost like a dining hall, with this enormous table set for the feast. The room was decorated beautifully. There were armchairs and small couches or love seats all around the table so that people could recline. 
and all the windows in the room were open so that the night air was coming in. We could smell the scent of the, the flowers coming in over the lake. An incredible scene. I remember coming into it thinking, wow, now this is the life. So we sat down and we uh, began to go through the Seder. Um, we did the blessings. We washed our hands. We, you know, all of the normal Seder things you do. If you've never been to a, a, a Seder before, a Passover Seder, it's, it's quite an experience. It's something you should definitely do when you have the chance. But then at one point in the Seder, fairly early on, we got to a section which surprised me, and it, it made me pause. Let me read it to you. It said, In haste we left Egypt. This is the bread of affliction which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Whoever is hungry, let him come and eat. Whoever is in need of a Passover Seder, let him come and celebrate with us. This year we are here. Next year may we be in the land of Israel. This year we are slaves. Next year may we be free men. This made me stop and go, wait, 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 wait a minute here. This year we are slaves? Next year may we be free men? And I looked around the table, and there's, there's people that I knew that were doctors. They're lawyers and people who own their own businesses that are very successful. Clearly these people are not slaves by any definition of slavery that, that I'm aware of. But being new at this, you know, I, I, I sat back and I said, well, okay, I'm going to hold my tongue and... I'll see where this goes, because this doesn't seem to make sense to me, but if I've learned anything from studying Torah, I know that sometimes what, what may seem completely outrageous to me at first will later come to make sense, if I just kind of wait and see what happens next. So I held my tongue, and we continued on in the Seder. So, really, merely a few moments later, we got to a ne another passage, which went as follows. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, but God took us out from there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And had the Holy One, blessed be he, not taken our ancestors out of Egypt, we, our children, and our children's children would still be enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. Therefore, even if we are all wise, all men of understanding, all well-versed in the Torah, we would still be commanded to tell about the exodus from Egypt. And whoever tells about it at length is worthy of praise. Okay, so at this point, I actually raised my hand and said, wait a minute, there's a huge problem here. Isn't this a direct contradiction of what we just said about still being slaves? Because just moments before we said, this year we are slaves, next year may we be freemen. And then right here we're saying, well, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. But God took us out from there, so we're not slaves anymore. Baruch Hashem. We're complete. We're directly contradicting ourselves here. What? How? How can this make sense? Now I should point out the people running this seder had specifically told us if you have questions, if you come up with you know anything, feel free to raise your hand and and uh, and chime in because that's really one of the whole points of Passover. It's it's sort of the holiday of why. The entire Seder is set up in order to inspire you to ask, why are we doing things differently tonight? Why is tonight different than all other nights? That's the whole point of the entire Passover experience. So if you're not asking why, you're not doing it right. So it was, they, were, they were pleased that I was asking the questions at this point. 
And so the the person running the Seder said, well, you know, you, you've brought up a very good point, but really there's not a contradiction here at all. The problem is in how you're defining the term slavery, because most people, when they think of slavery, what they think of is, you know, someone being chained to a wall or forced to work in a field with overseers with whips. But the definition of slavery in context of Passover is not just slavery in the sense of being tied up and forced to do labor, although it includes that. But more accurately, it's the Hebrew term oved, which means service, servitude. So this, for example, includes any form of tyranny over another human being. Avraham Avinu, Abraham, our father, was born in a land where they were ruled over by a mighty king named Nimrod, or Nimrod, you may have heard of him. And this king was not simply a king, or even a, a, a mighty ruler, or even a tyrant. In fact, he went further than that. And he didn't just say, I am a great and powerful tyrant, and you will do what I say, or I will destroy you. Instead, he said, I am your God, and you will serve me as such. That is the ultimate form of slavery. Forcing people to serve you as a god. And so Avraham, finding himself in this situation, or waking up to realize that he was in this situation, he stood up and he said, No, I will not serve you. You are no god. You're just a man like anyone else. And as a reward for this disobedience, <laughs> Nimrod basically pursued him and attempted to kill him. And, and Avraham fled his home so as not to be killed by Nimrod. And this is the beginning of the Jewish people. When Avraham made a stand and refused to allow the oppression around him to continue unchecked and unchallenged, and he stood up and decided to fight against tyranny and slavery. So fast forward several hundred years to Egypt, and the Jewish people are servants or slaves to Pharaoh. And what does this Pharaoh say? He says, I am your God. So this really blew my mind. I, I had never really looked at it like this before. It didn't fully answer my question, but I was somewhat distracted by the food that they suddenly brought out at this point, which was various types of nuts and, and dried fruits, dried apricots, pistachios, to bolster us, to strengthen us during the, the retelling of the story of the Exodus, during the Magid. You know, I think that was enough to distract me <laughs> so we could move on. And we read on through the section of the Four Sons, had lots of very interesting discussion on all of these. And then we came to another section where we read, At first, our ancestors were idol worshippers. But now, the omnipresent, blessed be he, has drawn us close to his service. And it continues, It is this that has stood by our ancestors and us. It is not only one that has risen against us to destroy us, rather in every generation they rise against us to annihilate us. But the Holy One, blessed be he, saves us from their hand. So this brought it all right back to the forefront of my mind. I thought, wait, wait, wait. So first you said, this year we are slaves. Next you said, 
we were slaves to Pharaoh, but Hashem has brought us out. And when I asked about this, he said, well, there's many different types of slavery. Take, for example, idolatry. But now you're saying, well, we used to be idolaters. At first, our ancestors were idol worshippers. But now the omnipresent, blessed be he, has drawn us close to his service. So now, you know, we used to be idolaters, but now we're not idolaters. So the previous explanation you gave, it, it doesn't fit. You used to be slaves, but now you're not. You used to be idolaters, but now you're not. So now you're not slaves. You're not idolaters. Good and good. Both of those are good things. But that leaves us with the original problem. At the very beginning of this Seder, you said, this year we are slaves. Next year, may we be free men. Why did we say this? If we're not slaves... In the sense of the in the sense of the term that we're shackled and being forced to do someone else's work by a, a horrible tyrant, and we're not idolaters. In what way can we say that we're slaves? So the answer that 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 my host gave me is he said, "Okay, look, let's go through the rest of the Passover Seder and see if it doesn't start to make sense to you, and we'll discuss this more further on once we get to the end." Now, normally, I don't think I would have accepted an answer like this. But at this point, I think I was hungry enough that I would have really taken any answer at all. So we read a little more. We brought out the meal, which was a delicious meal, just amazing traditional Passover foods, such as, you know, matzo ball soup and just amazing things. And afterwards, we we all as a group did the, uh, the blessing after meals. And we began reciting the Hallel. And I think it's it's when we started reciting the Hallel that it started falling into place for me. And I started to realize what I was misunderstanding. And it was a very fundamental point. At the beginning of the Hallel, we recite Psalms 115. And in it, it says, O Yisrael, trust in Hashem. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aharon, trust in Hashem. He is their help and their shield. You that fear Hashem, trust in Hashem. He is their help and their shield. Hashem has been mindful of us. He will bless. He will bless the house of Yisrael. He will bless the house of Aharon. He will bless those that fear Hashem, both small and great. Who is this that it's talking about? It's talking about Yisrael, the house of Aharon, and those that fear Hashem. Three separate groups. And these are Israel, the Kohanim, and everyone else in the world who follows Hashem. So, Noahides. And it continues, Hashem increase you more and more, you and your children. Blessed be you of Hashem who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the heavens of Hashem, but the earth has he given to the children of men. Livne Adam, to the children of Adam. And as we continued reading, through Psalms 118, it says again, O give thanks unto Hashem, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So let Yisrael now say, for his mercy endures forever. So let the house of Aharon now say, 
for his mercy endures forever. So let them now that fear Hashem say, for his mercy endures forever. And as we read through here, I notice continually, continually, it's talking about not just Israel, but the entire human race. And this, I realized, is what I was misunderstanding. I was looking at the story of the Exodus here as if the only people involved in this were the people of Israel. It's the people of Israel being removed from Egypt. And that is the purpose of the Exodus story. So for non-Jews, there's really no point. It, It doesn't involve us. But as I'm looking at the text here, it's talking about more than just that. It's including everyone. And, and, and it's dawned on me that what it's talking about is not just redemption from the slavery of Egypt. The redemption that we're talking about in this story is not just the physical redemption of the Jewish people, but it's the redemption from idolatry, their freedom from worshiping idols from worshipping tyrants who had set themselves up as gods. But why? Israel was not freed just for the sake of their own freedom. Why were they freed? They were freed in order to be a nation of priests to the rest of the human race, to all humanity. And what is the main duty of a priest? To teach. To teach Torah to all of humanity. That is the purpose of the Jewish people. So what began in the exodus from Egypt was not just the redemption of the Jewish people, but it was the beginning of the process of the redemption of the entire human race so that all humanity would eventually be able to become free from the slavery that they are in, which they don't even realize they're in. The slavery of idolatry. The tyranny of idolatry. And this is why every year we sit down and we remember the Exodus. In fact, even on a daily basis it's done among the Jewish people. Why? Not because we're dwelling in the past and reliving old glorious memories over and over. No, no, no. But because that was the beginning of a process which is still going on today. It's not over. The exodus began in Egypt thousands of years ago, and it will be finished when we all enter into the Messianic era, when every last human being has cast off the bonds of slavery to idolatry and is truly free to serve Hashem. Then, and only then, will we be able to say that the exodus is complete. And until then, we all, every year, at least once, must see ourselves as if we are still slaves to Paro in Misraya, to Pharaoh in Egypt. Because until all of us are free, none of us are free. Until the last man is out, we are all still slaves, and we must see ourselves as such, because we can't leave anyone behind. This is the thing that set Avraham apart, this is, the, this is the characteristic which has distinguished the Jewish people and made them different and made them the people to fulfill this mission. As this principle, until all of us are free, none of us are free. 
And so we still each year say, this year we are slaves. Next year, may we be free men. So this is, this is one of the levels of meaning that Passover has for, for non-Jews, for Noahides, for the entire human race. And over the years, as, as I've gone through more and more seders, I've found that there's many, many more levels of meaning to this. But this is, this is one of the most fundamental and one of the most important meanings. And uh, I hope it, it helps to enrich your Passover experience, however you choose to celebrate it. And a quick note on that topic, because I've heard many opinions regarding this from various different people. But as I've been taught from my teachers, um, we are, we as B'nai Noah, are completely welcome to either have our own seders or attend the seder, a seder being held by Jews. Although we are in no way obligated to attend a seder um, or to observe Passover in any way, but we're welcome to do so if we so choose. And given the deep amount of meaning that uh, this holiday clearly contains for us, it may make sense in a lot of cases. Um, now, the one thing that we are clearly not allowed to do is to eat the Passover sacrifice. But since the temple doesn't even stand today, eh, it's really not an issue that we have to worry about at present. Um, so if you want more information about how to observe Passover, and, you know, how to do a Seder and what all of that involves, I would highly recommend that you go to either the Aish HaTorah website at Aish.com or potentially even to the Chabad website at Chabad.org. And in fact, Chabad has a, uh, a wonderful tool which you can use to see if there are any um, open-to-the-public Seders going on in your area at any given time. And in most major cities, at least in the United States, there do seem to be. And I'm sure they have a number of them all over the world as well. And uh, if anyone is interested, obviously, in finding out more about what it means to be a Noahide or to follow the seven laws of Noah, which is the path within the Torah for non-Jews, you should definitely go to the Noahide Nations website at noahidenations.com and find out more about this path. Thanks for being here for this segment of the Noahide Nations radio show. I hope you enjoyed it and hope you can be with us again next time. And until then, Shalom Uvarachuth. Peace and blessings. Thank you for that excellent teaching, Jacob. And also thank you for stepping in and, and helping us out in terms of being able to get the Noahide Nation show to continue to be on the air out there. Uh, both Prescott and I are very appreciative. We've just been absolutely swamped with uh, just life and, in particular, the uh, upcoming conference. Uh, it's just uh, an amazing amount of work that has to occur. And by having you step in and, and helping us out, we just truly appreciate it. And I believe the folks uh, are enjoying your teaching. So <laughs> I, I think it's a, a multi-fold uh, support system we've got going here. 
here. So I genuinely appreciate it. And certainly we hope that you can step back in here and will give us another teaching uh, because I think the folks would really like that. So, folks, in the meantime, we're going to wrap up the Noahide Nation show right here. And please, let's always remember that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are indeed spiritual beings having a human experience. Shalom. Israel National Radio Jewish History Moment. It was on the 28th of October 1938 when all Polish Jews living in Germany were arrested and deported to the Polish border. Most were initially housed in the small border town of Sponjin, but were eventually moved on to more terrible destinations. When 17-year-old Herschel Grinspan, who lived illegally in Paris, heard that his parents were among those suffering this ordeal, he was furious, took a handgun, went to the German embassy in Paris, and when received by the third secretary, Ernst von Rath, Herschel shot him. Von Rath died two days later. The death of this Nazi diplomat was the trigger for the well-prepared so-called spontaneous pop room of the Kristallnacht Night of the Broken Glass a few days later on November the 10th when all synagogues in Germany, Austria and occupied Sudetenland were torched, Jewish property destroyed and 30,000 Jewish men taken to concentration camps. This was an Israel National Radio Jewish History Moment.